Well, to all of our dads in the room, happy Father's Day. We love you. We honor you. And uh, I love that I have my dad in the room back in the corner. And Dad, I love you and appreciate you. He was never one of the, the, I don't remember him telling a lot of jokes growing up, but what I do remember is that he was faithful, he was honorable, and a man of integrity, and he still is, and uh, I get to have his name. So I'm Kendi Chant III, and uh, get to carry around a great reputation. So to all the dads in this room, we love you, we appreciate you, thank you for all that you do. Let's give it up for our dads one more time. So we're going to ask you to grab a connection card from the pocket of the chair in front of you. And for those of you who are watching online, we are so glad you are joining us as well. Obviously, there's no connection cards in the pockets of chairs in front of you. And so there's a virtual link that we're sharing with you right now that you can fill out. But for everybody in the room, now that you have one of those cards in front of you, uh, whether you fill this out, you know, 170 sometimes before, if you would fill it out again. If you've filled one out in the past, just give us your first and last name. If you've been holding out and you have never filled out one of these cards, if you give us your address, we have something we want to send you this week. When you leave this morning and you go out these doors, we have some good-looking greeters that are back there with buckets, white buckets, and you can stick those cards in the buckets. Thank you for doing that. If you came prepared to give, our giving boxes are out in the lobby, and so you can keep those separate in the giving boxes. You can also give online through our website or through our app, so thank you for your help with that. A couple things that we want to let you know about is um, uh, we have, actually this past week, we had four middle school, high school students that were involved in Missions Extreme in Youngstown, and this coming week, leaving tomorrow morning, we have 26 middle school, high school students that are going to be at camp at Heartland, and Reese, I see that hand, are you going? They're, They're letting you go? Oh my goodness. Pray for the room leaders. Pray for the room leaders. No, they're going to have an incredible week, and it's going to be a little bit on the hot side, but they're going to have a great week. It's going to be a week of making friendships and having fun. Their games are out of this world, the stuff that they do and the messiness of it. But here's, here's what I'm asking you to do, and we, I don't ask you to do this very often, but I'm calling our church to, to, to spend some time on Monday or Tuesday in particular to just put, put aside some concentra- concentrated time of praying for our campers this week. We're asking God to move in their lives in a way that for the rest of their lives they would look back and remember that moment when God touched them. Maybe for them it's giving their lives to Christ. They're not going to have their uh, devices with them. They won't have phones or technology. It's just a unique environment where God can get the attention of some students. And so I'm asking either Monday, maybe a meal on Monday or on Tuesday, or maybe some time that you would just block out in your calendar. And I'm not talking about like hours. You know, maybe for you, you know, a big deal would be five minutes of concentrated time. But how many of you would say, Ken, I'll do that? Sometime on Monday or Tuesday, I will pray for our campers. And if you raised your hand, the Lord saw you raise your hand. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do. Set a reminder on your phone right now or put it in your calendar because otherwise, if you're like me, you will forget. You'll have great intentions, and next week you'll hear us talk about the campers, and you'll go, oh, man, I was going to pray for them. So make sure that you set a reminder for that. Um, We have baptisms coming up next Sunday, and so if you're a follower of Jesus and you have not yet been baptized, mark on your connection card. There's a place that says baptisms, and I would love to get in touch with you this week and share with you more about what that means. Also, we want to make sure that you guys are putting Saturday morning 
July 16th on your calendars. This is our serve day. We're joining with tens of thousands of churches around the world. This is now an international thing in serving our community. And what we're asking for is just that morning. If you could set aside three, four hours that morning, we'll be meeting at the church. We'll be getting you more details on that in the next couple of weeks. But here's where we're, we're still looking for several more projects. And so if you know of an organization in our community, or you know maybe you have a neighbor who is a single mom or a widow, and we, we want to... Think about what it would look like for, for, for an organization or for an individual to, to have six, eight people show up at their house for, and give three or four hours to do maybe yard work that's out of control or, or whatever it might be. So if you know of a project, you can simply write that on the back of your connection card and uh, that helps us out a ton. Thank you for doing that. And then we want to let you, I'm really excited about this announcement. So if you've been around Journey, you know that, that we've been doing this a little while. My wife and I actually moved here um, in a week. It'll be 16 years ago that we moved from Pittsburgh. We didn't know anybody in Sandusky County and, and started this thing from scratch. And I, I've told people this before. If there was no Carrie DeChant, there would be no Journey Church. She has served in so many different roles. She's been our janitor. She's made the coffee in the mornings. She's been in the nursery. She started our kids' stuff. You know, she, she's just, because when you're a church planner and you're this, you just step into whatever role you got, right? And so two, a little over two years ago, she stepped into the role of, of our worship team director, um, basically because it was, it was a, a empty hole and she needed to step into it, right? It was a vacuum. And so, and she loves worship and she loves worshiping God. And so it's been, it's, it's been great, but, but she has said for over a year now, she's just said, Ken, I just, I, this is not what I'm supposed to be leading. Like, I, I, I'm willing to lead occasionally. I'm willing to be on a platform. I'm willing to be part of a team. I just don't feel like I'm supposed to be leading the team. And so for well over a year, we've been praying, God, would you cause our path to cross with the right person who could be our worship team director. We actually even looked outside the church and, and, and looked for maybe would someone move to Fremont and be a part of that. And uh, around December, uh, Beth and Dwayne Wilson started attending our church. And, and I've known Dwayne for a long time. I've gotten to know Beth over the last um, uh, three years or so. We actually got to participate in their wedding. And, and, uh, and so they started coming, and then Beth started getting involved in the team, and Dwayne's been involved as well. And, and uh, we just started seeing Beth's giftings. And she is a phenomenal musician. She, she loves Jesus. She's spirit-filled. But she's also great with the administration side of things and planning and just was checking all the boxes, has been working with our students and helping them develop and grow uh, in worship. And, and, and it just, it was like, man, we really believe Beth would be the right fit for this. And so we started trying to, hey, Beth, would you, and she, oh, I'll, I'll help we're like, okay, that, well, that'll be good. We'll take help. And then we just have kept trying to pull at her, and, and we finally wore her down. <laughs> and I'm excited to announce this morning that Beth Wilson is going to be our worship ministry director. And Beth is over here. Would you stand so we can just acknowledge you? And... So excited. I think the most excited person is Carrie, who is in the first service, just nodding her head saying, yes, she's so excited about that. And so if, if you have any questions about worship, ministry, don't go to my wife, Carrie. Go to Beth. And she'll, she'll take all of your questions. And uh, those of you who have your list of 100 worship songs that you would start, you would like us to start leading, you know, you can now direct those to Beth. And... <laughs>
don't. Don't do it. Hey, speaking of ministry leaders, like if you've been wondering like who leads what or who does what, we've been working on our website. And if you go to explorejourney.org and click on ministry leaders, you'll now see a page and we're developing it even further. So um, this will help you. Sometimes you go, well, I don't know who to go to. And so I'll go to Pastor Ken. And if you go to the website and look at it, you can email the ministry leaders directly, and I don't have to be the middleman, and that helps uh, in a great way as well. So uh, make sure to check that out. Well, we are starting a new series uh, today called Running from God. And I think maybe, you, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, well, I'm at church, so why does this series have anything to do with me? If I was running from God, I wouldn't even be here. But you know, running from God, we run in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes we can be wearing our Sunday best and participating in worship, and there's a part of our life where we're running from him. I, I think about this, like, how many of you growing up, did you ever try to run away from home? Anybody in the room? Come on, there's got to be more than that. Really? Seriously? You guys are such good kids growing up. I remember, I grew up in a fantastic family. Usually when you run away from home, it usually has something to do with either one of your parents or it has something to do with one of your siblings, right? And I remember when I was seven or eight years old, I, I grew up in Sandusky on Camp Street, and I remember one day just getting something, something got me to a point where I, I can't stands anymore, right? So I, I'm going to run away from home. I'm seven or eight years old. I distinctly remember getting out my backpack and packing it, but the only thing that I remember for sure that I put in the backpack was a can of corn. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't remember putting a pocket knife in there or a can opener, but I had a can of corn. I stuffed a bunch of other things in there, and, and, and really when you run away from home, it's not about the destination. It's just getting away. I don't even know where I'm going to. I just know I need to get away from here, right? And so I remember there was an alley that went parallel with, with Camp Street, and I went back in the alley, and several houses away, there was a backyard, and some people lived there, and, and, and they didn't have any kids or anything, so there's no one ever, like, in their property, and they had a crab apple tree, and I remember just kind of sitting underneath that crab apple tree and just hanging out there for a while, and I thought for sure hours had gone by, and finally I decided my, my family had learned their lesson, and I could go back home, right? I remember going back home and no one had even known that I had left, right? You know, typical middle kid syndrome, right? Like, Marsha, 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 right? Seriously. And so, uh, but, but here's the thing that, that I realized, and that was a joke for if, you, if you're under the age of 40, you didn't even get that joke. But um, here's the thing is, how many of you have ever, well, you don't need to raise your hand for this. How many of you have ever tried to run away from God? Like we usually do that when we're a little older, don't we? We run away from God and, and we run away from God for all kinds of reasons. I put in your notes several reasons that I've bumped into as a pastor and these have even been things that I've dealt with personally at times. Sometimes we run away from God because we don't want to be told what to do. Like, I know what I want to do, and I'm pretty sure that God wouldn't want me to do that, and so here's what I'm going to do to solve the, the, the I'm just going to, I'm just going to move away from God so that I can do what I want to do. Another reason we run away from God is because we're afraid of missing out. And I see this in particular of, of kids who have grown up in the church, grown up going all the way through, you know, middle school, high school ministries, maybe even young adult ministries, and you get to a place and, and, and you're following Jesus, but your relationship with God kind of seems stale and it doesn't seem as exciting. There's not a lot of, 
you know, just adventure to it. And so, but you look at everybody else and it seems like they are having the time of their life. You're afraid of missing out and so you just distance yourself from God a little. Maybe this is a big one that I find, especially in church world, is we run away from God because life isn't going so well. We bump into some major disappointments. You thought that God would respond a certain way to an illness or, or to, to whatever it might be, and, and God doesn't respond the way that you think that he should, and so you just decide, I've had enough. I'm, I'm running. You put on your running shoes, and you decide, I'm getting out of here. And to guide us in our conversation for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be studying the life of a guy named Jonah. And when I say the name Jonah, if you've grown up in church world, there's all kinds of connotations you have. If you didn't grow up in church world and you don't really know much about the Bible, you're probably going, Jonah, Jonah, he's the one who built the ark, right? Or if he's not the one who built the ark, then he's the one who, there was a deal with a whale, right? Or got swallowed by fish, right? And he, so he's not the one who built the ark. He's the one who was swallowed by a whale. He's the one, the Bible talks about the, that he gets swallowed by a whale and lives inside, or the Bible doesn't say a whale, it says a, a great fish, and he, he lives inside for three days, and then he gets vomited out on the dry ground, and, and he lives to tell about it. And some of you when, you, when you hear this, you just go, Ken, you don't expect me to believe this, right? I mean, in your mind, Jonah is very cartoonish. Maybe you think of the VeggieTales. I had someone in between the services telling me different scenes from the VeggieTales movie that they remember. And, and, and for you, he just seems, he seems like a caricature. And you don't expect us to believe, you know, was he the brother of Hansel and Gretel? Like some kind of fairy tale type of thing. Here's what you need to know about what Scripture says about Jonah is that Scripture responds to Jonah as if, as if he actually lived. Like the... The account of Jonah includes actual cities that have been found by archaeologists. Jonah's name is mentioned in other historical records. 750 years after Jonah, Jesus would talk about Jonah as if Jesus believed that he actually existed. And so maybe for you, the whole, you know, you have a hard time swallowing the story. See what I did there? Thank you. I, I would just say this. For most of us who are in this room, we're followers of Jesus, and we're followers of Jesus not because he was just a great teacher and because he was a great man and moral leader of history. We're followers of Jesus because we believe that he died on a cross, was put in a borrowed grave, and on the third day that he was resurrected from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. So by our very definition as followers of Jesus, we are people who believe in the supernatural. And so when it comes to accounts like this, I know from a human reasoning perspective, like we look at these and we go, well, that's not possible. But we're people who believe that with God, all things are possible. And so maybe, maybe you have a hard time with this. I would just encourage you, just lean in a little bit and see what you can learn from Jonah. Now, I'm going to invite you to actually read this for yourself. And so if you have your Bible with you, maybe it's an app on your phone. If you would go to Jonah, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. In fact, this morning, we're going to cover all of Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read it all verse by verse through chapter 1. And if you have your paper Bible, Jonah can be difficult to find. So here's what I would encourage you to do. First, find Matthew. If you find the Gospel of Matthew... 
and go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is in the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels. And then the easiest way to find Jonah is just to move just a little bit to your left, just kind of thumb page by page to your left. And it's about seven books, which these are super short books. Some of them are only like a page long, two pages long. So if you just go a few pages to the left, you will run into Jonah. Now, as you're turning to Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is a prophet. And in the Old Testament, prophets had a difficult job. Throughout, throughout history, prophets have had a difficult job. They were kind of the army rangers of the kingdom of God. They would, they would, they would come into tough situations and bring a tough word to a group of people who really didn't want to hear it and often didn't even respond to them. And so this is who Jonah is, and we're going to pick up now. You, hopefully you're all there. Jonah chapter 1. Beginning with verse 1, how many of you are there? Going to hold you accountable this morning. The rest, don't just count on the verses being up on the screen. They might not be. So, Okay, Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. So let's just pause there after verse 1. Let's just pause. The God who created the heavens and the earth is going to speak to an average ordinary man. This is incredible. I know sometimes we read this stuff in the Bible and we just kind of read over it and act like it's not a big deal. This is a huge deal. And what God, the God who is eternal, who is everlasting, who is immutable, who is all-powerful, is gonna, he's going to give a command to a human being. And this command is not, it's not hard to understand. In fact, what we're going to read in verse 2 is so short that you could tweet it. Here's the command. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, here's the thing. as soon as Jonah heard the word Nineveh, he didn't have to get out Wikipedia. He didn't have to go to Google Maps. He, he knew instantly Nineveh. He knows all about Nineveh. He's heard the stories, the reputation has preceded them. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was very brutal. Very, the, the history is filled with their atrocities. Like they are incredibly bloodthirsty and cruel in their dealings. Eventually, spoiler alert, years after this, it would be the Assyrian Empire that would defeat the northern kingdom of Israel. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and instantly, Jonah knows all about this. In fact, I, I, let me just read, a scholar James Bluckner write, writes a lengthy account of the atrocities of the Assyrians. Now, as soon as I said that statement, some of you are like, I'm just going to check out for the next minute. But I'm telling you, if you like video games that are bloody and gory, you got to lean in and listen to this, because this is crazy. This actually happened. This scholar is writing about the Assyrians, and this is what he says. After, quote, after capturing their enemies... The Assyrians would typically cut off both legs and just one arm so they could shake the victim's one hand in mockery as he was dying. If that's not bad enough, he, he writes way more about this. I'm just reading two of the things. Second, they forced friends and family members to parade with their decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. Sounds like a nice group of people. You probably want to, when they move into the neighborhood, go over with a plate of cookies and welcome no way. Jonah's like, uh-uh, we're not doing this. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to announce God's judgment, and Jonah's thinking, hey, let's just skip the warning and go straight to the judgment. We don't need to warn them. These guys deserve what's coming to them. We don't like these people. God, you can't be serious. There's no way that you can expect me to go to Nineveh and announce their judgment to them. 
And here's, here's what we need to understand. Because Jonah couldn't see that there was any re- good reasons for God's command, Jonah decided that there weren't any good reasons for God's command. And it's really important because basically what it's saying is that Jonah thought that he knew better than God. It's easy for us to sit here and look at a character from 2,750 years ago and go, well, man, that, that's problematic. But here's the thing. It's true of every one of us in this room at different seasons of our lives. We don't understand a command of God. We don't understand something we read in the word of God. And so we decide because we're so much smarter that there must not be any good reason for what God is saying. And we decide that we know better than God. And here's what Jonah does in this situation. He doesn't jettison his faith. He doesn't get on social media and announce that I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. He just decides he's not going to do what God told him to do. He behaves, we call this practical atheism. Practical atheism is I wear a label that says I'm a Christian, but I just live my life as if God doesn't exist. I live my life as if I know better and I'm going to do what I want to do instead of doing what God wants me to do. Jonah, in a sense, becomes a runner, ties up the shoes and says, nope, I'm not doing what you want me to do. Look at verse 3. It says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. I think it's interesting. In fact, if you're reading, I would just underline that statement. He, He wanted to get away from the Lord. How many times in our lives do we want to do the same thing? He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish and he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. And this leads us to our first point that I think is so important for everybody in this room. When running, we run to the strangest places. When running away from God, we often run to the strangest places. Riley, I'm going to ask you to put up on the screen a map. So... Jonah is in Joppa, which you see right over here, and God is commanding him to go to Nineveh, which would be 550 miles northeast, right? So what is is Jonah going to do? Look at where he's going to go. He buys a ticket for Tarshish, 2,500 miles away. Now here's the crazy thing. We're looking at this, thinking about it in terms of the map of the world that we know of, right? For Jonah, this would be the map of the world. So what, I mean, just looking at this, what is Jonah doing? He's literally going to the end of the world as he knows it to get away from doing what God's told him to do. Like he's going as far as he can possibly think to move away from God. Not only that, but what does he do? He gets on a boat. Now again, for our culture, like that's no big deal. Some of you guys go on cruises and you don't even think twice about it. Can I tell you, in the ancient world, getting on a boat to go anywhere, any distance, was fraught with danger. I mean, even 200 years ago, it wasn't the smartest thing to do. I mean, sometimes that's the only way to get from point A to point B. Getting, and, and not only is he going to get on a boat, but he's going to get on a route that would be the furthest sailing route that you could possibly go in the world at this point. As a pastor, I've witnessed all sorts of people who decided to run from God. And can I tell you, they often run to the strangest places. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I think I know better than God, so I am going to get married. That sounds safe, right? Now, I'm not, getting married is great. I'm talking about the people who 
intentionally marry someone that they know that they have no business marrying. Every red light's going off. Every person that they love is saying, they're not the right person for you. You you shouldn't marry them. And they say, I don't care what God says. I don't care what anybody who loves me says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Can I tell you, they run to the strangest places. I'm going to get involved in this financial deal, or I'm going to take this job that everybody is telling me that I shouldn't take. We think we're doing something that nobody else has ever done before, but we're not. We run to the strangest places. Look at the the next three words in verse 4. It says, but the Lord. But the Lord. When we run from God, we often bump into some but the Lord moments. It says in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. And fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Here's what I want you to get. Every act of disobedience has a storm associated with it. Not not at first. It's not necessarily going to be that as soon as you decide to move away from God that the storm will come. Sometimes it happens a little later, but I'm telling you, when you run away from God, you will encounter storms in your life. Ironically, it's the pagan sailors, the ones who do not believe in the God of Jonah. They believe in a whole multiplicity of gods. It's the pagan sailors who begin to desperately call out to their gods for help. These are sailors who know all about the weather, they know all about the water, they know all about weather systems in the water, and and all these types of things and storms, and they knew that this storm was different than any other storm they had ever experienced or every other storm that they had heard about. To them, it almost seemed from the get-go that there was a supernatural force behind this storm. And they are scared. They are fearing for their lives. They are so scared. We see how scared they are that they start... Over, they th- start throwing overboard the cargo, which would have been their whole incentive of sailing in the first place. So economically, they're about to take a huge hit in order to preserve their own lives. And this leads to our second point. When running, not only do we run to the strangest places, we often ignore the consequences. So many times people who are running from God, they will ignore the consequences. It says in the end of verse 5, but all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So think about this picture. You got these guys frantically, I mean, they're just trying to save their lives up on the ship and they're, they're, they're throwing cargo overboard and they're frantic and they're crying out to their gods. And where is Jonah? He's sound asleep. It's like he is the last person on the ship to recognize the chaos that is going on all around him. I'll tell you, people who run from God are often the last to connect their personal chaos to the fact that they're running from God. I've been amazed at people that I'll sit down with, and I mean, their lives, chaos is just spiraling all around them, and they're kind of like, what chaos? What hurt? They don't even recognize it. They're oblivious to it. This leads to our third lesson. When running, we can often hurt those closest to us. See, when we run away from God, it doesn't just affect us. It affects everybody who is in our orbit. Jonah's choice was costing the sailors financially. I already mentioned they're throwing their cargo overboard. It's costing them emotionally, 
They're fearing for their lives. Listen, your choices to run away from God will create chaos in the lives of people that you love. Parents, when you decide to run from God, you create chaos in the lives of your kids. Middle school, high school, college students in this room, when you run from God, you don't realize the chaos that you are creating in the lives of your parents. Spouses do this to one another. We run from God and we think, well, this is just my thing. No, your thing affects everybody around you. And that's why it's important for us to take measure of the chaos that's going around, around, around us. And I know, that, I know that theologically sometimes this can seem a little shaky because it seems like there's two ruts. Like we're driving on a road that has two major ruts on both sides. And one side is a, is a rut where we think that every storm is because of something that somebody has done. There's a story in the Gospels where the disciples come up to Jesus and, and they've, they've, they've identified a guy who has, been, who has been blind since he was born. And so, so they say to Jesus, Jesus, who, whose fault is it that this guy's been born blind? You know, is it, it's got to be his parents' fault, right? I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's his fault. Maybe God knew that he would be such a horrible person, so he just made him blind from birth. Like, whose fault is it? And Jesus is like, listen, no, no, that's not the deal here. This is, this is so that God will be glorified. So, so, so one, one rut is that we just think that, that everything must be somebody's fault, right? And we're constantly trying to assign blame. But because we know about this rut, what happens in a lot of modern, especially American Christianity, is that when bad things happen, it doesn't even enter our mind to take measure of the chaos and why the chaos is going around. And if the chaos could be related to something that we've done I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly, please don't walk out of here and say that I'm saying that every bit of, every storm that comes your life, every trial that you experience, every tribulation is because of your sin or because of something that you've done. I am not saying that, but I think it is wise for us to at least consider, is there something off in my life? I think it's wise to just ask the question, God, would you show me anything in me that is not pleasing you? Would you shine your Holy Spirit searchlight into my heart? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Is a prayer that David prayed. I think it's wise to ask that question, to take measure of the chaos around you. Let's keep going in verse 6. So the captain went down after Jonah. And the captain's about to read him the riot act, right? How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Meanwhile, this is so crazy, verse 7, then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused a terrible storm. By the way, this sounds like nonsensical to us, but 2,750 years ago, this would be normal behavior. Okay, it, this, this has got to be somebody's fault. We'll, we'll play spin the bottle and figure out whose fault it is, right? When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Verse 8, why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? You see, they begin to interrogate Jonah. Okay, Jonah, what, what's the deal? What's going on here? Verse 9, Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of the heaven, who made the sea and the land. <laughs> think, think about what he's just saying. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. You all worship a multiplicity of gods. You all have lots of different gods. I worship one God. And he made the land and he made the sea. And these pagan sailors are going, 
what? Why are you now, why are you just now telling us about this, right? Like, why did you do it? It says, verse 10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was what? He had already told them that he was what? Running away from God. And now he's telling them, oh, by the way, I'm running away from the one God who made the land and the sea. Why did you do it, they groaned. See, here, here's, I guess what I'm trying to get across is the storm was a consequence of Jonah's running, and yet these sailors have now been caught in it too. Your disobedience doesn't just affect you. It never just affects you. When you are unfaithful in your marriage, it never just affects you. When you disobey God, when you run from him, when you move away from him, there will be chaos that others will experience because of your disobedience. Verse 11, since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked Jonah, what should we do to you to stop the storm? This, this is crazy, verse 12. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Verse 13, instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. These pagan, polytheistic sailors are now crying out to the God of Jonah. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Can I just say, I'm blown away by the integrity of these pagan sailors. Think, think about it. Let's look through the course of the story. While Jonah was asleep, they are wide-eyed and alert. While he is absorbed with his own problems, they are seeking the common good of everybody on the boat. While they are praying to their own gods for help, have you noticed that Jonah hasn't yet even prayed to God? He is, he is so stuck in his, like, I'm, I'm running away. I'm running away. That even though he is now recognizing the storm going around him, there's no sense of repentance. There's no sense of him. They are more interested in crying out to his God than he is interested in crying out to his God. When you are running from God, you will find that God is willing to use the people that you least expect to get your attention. You're running from God. God will use all-out pagans to get your attention. God will use Republicans. He'll even use Democrats. He will use anybody that he needs to use in order to get your attention. But again, Jonah still isn't repentant. He isn't personally going to God. The only reason that Jonah takes any responsibility at all is because he's being confronted, which isn't true repentance, by the way. When you get caught and you go, I'm sorry, that is not repentance. There's no godly sorrow inside of you. Verse 15, then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. 
They tried everything they could think of. And listen, to, to their credit, I think they authentically believed that they were all about to die anyhow. So before you start casting stones at these sailors, I think in their minds, we're all going to die anyhow, so we might as well let him be the first. So they throw Jonah into the stormy waters, and look at what happens next. The end of verse 15, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were all struck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Like, the storm stops instantly. So that's it, right? That's the end of the story. We can close it up and go home. No, there's one more verse. You've been waiting for the fishy part of this story the whole time, right? Here it is. It's the last verse of chapter 1. We're going to save chapter 2 for next week. We're, next week we'll talk about the prayer of a runner. But today, let's look at this last verse. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. It's a miracle. Tim Keller, one of my favorites. I just love everything I can find of Tim Keller. And he wrote a book it's a small little book about Jonah called The Prodigal Prophet. Actually, it's been re-released. It's got a new name. I can't remember the name of it, but I love this little book. And he says this, Tim Keller says this, As soon as Jonah hits the water, the God whom he did not trust miraculously saves him. This mysterious divine mercy that Jonah finds so inexplicable and offensive turns out to be his only hope. When you're running from God... You can run from God, but you can't outrun him. God prepared a fish for Jonah, and he will prepare something for you because he loves you and he wants to get your attention. He's not trying to pay you back for your running. He's not trying to pay you back for your disobedience. He's wanting to bring you back to himself. This is how much your heavenly father loves you. He loves you in, in a way that he doesn't just say I love you. He loves you so much that he was willing to send his son Jesus to come to this earth, to become one of us, to go through all the pain, betrayal, rejection, sorrow, grief. He went through all of it. And at the end of it, he laid down his life willingly, voluntarily, took himself, took upon himself the punishment that we deserve. All of that was laid upon him. And it was God saying, I'm not trying to pay you back. I love you so much. I'll take the consequences. I'll take the punishment. I'm trying to bring you back. I love you more than you know. I care about you more than you know. And if you're running today, maybe you're running because... You don't want to be told what to do. Maybe you're running because you're just afraid that you're missing out on something. Maybe you're running because God didn't do what you thought God should do and you've been grieving. Can I tell you, God is, he's not vindictive. He's not punitive. He wants to bring you back to himself. He loves you. He cares about you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the service, maybe you're here and you go, well, I'm here to chant. <laughs> I'm at church. I'm not running. If I was running, I certainly wouldn't be at church. Can I just tell you, there have been seasons in my life where I've ran in ways that nobody around me even knew. It's amazing how we can compartmentalize our lives and think that we're okay and yet we're being disobedient.
So maybe you're here and you, you are running. Maybe you're here and you've been running for a long time. And I want you to hear your heavenly father who says, I love you. And next week, we're going to get into the prayer of a runner, but I don't want you to wait seven days. Like, you can pray right now. Right now, right where you're at, you can say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I've, I've been running from you. I've been disobeying you. I, I thought that I knew better than you. Forgive me. Do inside of me what only you can do. But I'm going to ask all around this room if you would close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to I pray for you. This isn't your pastor being nosy and trying to figure out who's into what these days or all of that. I, I genuinely care about you, and, and I want to be able to pray with you and for you. Sometimes when we're running, it's just nice to know that I'm not on my own in coming back. See, the enemy will lie. In fact, some of you, even right now, the enemy's lying to you and saying, well, you can't come back. You can't come back. God doesn't love you after what you've done. There's not a path back to him. And can I tell you, there is a path back to him. It's in the shape of a cross. So with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, you're here and you say, Ken, I've been running. Today, I want to run back to God. Can I tell you, you don't even have to travel far. All you got to do is turn around. And he's right there waiting for you. So with nobody moving around now for the next minute, this is such an important moment for us. If that's you and you say, Ken, would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else who would say, that's me? Yeah, I see you over there. You can lower your hand. Anybody else? Guys, I just want you to know you are so loved. God's not mad at you. I think you need to hear this. God is not mad at you. He loves you. He wasn't mad at Jonah. If he was mad at Jonah, he would have let the knucklehead drown. He loved Jonah. He still had a purpose for Jonah. Father, I pray for my friends who have just raised their hands. God, I thank you that you love them. You're not wanting to pay them back. You took the payment. You took the punishment. You want to bring them back. I've got to pray for my friends who are watching online or listening online. That your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself in this moment. Search us, oh God. Know our hearts. Test us. Nor our anxious thoughts point out the things in us that offend you, any ways in our lives that we are running from you. And God, lead us in the path of everlasting life. So we repent. We turn to you. We turn to Jesus. We say, Jesus, have mercy. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your resurrection, proving your authority and your power to free us and to bring us back to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.